strange stories of peculiar people and extraordinary events throughout history. This is Notorious Narratives. Welcome to Notorious Narratives. I'm Jen. And I'm Robin. And tonight I'm going to tell you the dark story of the Radium Girls. The Radium Girls? Yes. That's a really good name for like... Like like a pop punk band or no? Like I was gonna say like roller derby. Oh, there you go. Yeah, it's like sounds all sciency and yeah, mysterious. Also, we can kill you. <laughs> well, man oh man. <laughs> so this is a tough one. Uh, we just recently did an Instagram story about this. Uh, so a lot of what I'm gonna talk about comes from the book The Radium Girls: The Dark Story of America's Shining Women by Kate Moore. Uh, which I've been reading. And if you find this story interesting, definitely buy that book because everything that I say, she knows more than me, better than me. Read her book, buy her book. People who... Not (laughs) sponsored. Not a sponsor. (laughs) But people who do this kind of research and write about these kinds of stories in history deserve to be supported. Absolutely. So please buy her book. Not to be too geeky um, about... I mean, I know, right? It's like, (laughs) "Mm, spoilers, too late. But not all heroes wear capes. These girls really gave it all they had and pushed just so that everyone else could have a little bit safer place to go to work each day. In 1898, pioneering scientist Marie Curie, Madame Curie, along with her husband, discovered the element radium. Mm -hmm. My beautiful radium, she called it when she discovered it. She was enthralled with it. It stirred her, she wrote. With its ever new emotion and enchantment. She was just in love with it. It was very cool to look at. It was interesting. It glowed. It was warm. It was really something special, even for a scientist who was known to discover multiple elements. In 1903, the Royal Academy of Sciences awarded Marie and Pierre Curie and Henry Becquerel the Nobel Prize in Physics, making Marie the first woman to win that prize. Go, girl. I mean, girl, get it. Mm -hmm. By 1910, radium was manufactured synthetically in the United States. But before the effects of radiation exposure were well understood, radium ended up in a lot of crazy places. Right away, the couple knew that their discovery was dangerous. Marie gave herself several unpleasant burns improperly handling radium. Pierre once said he couldn't bear the thought of sharing a room with even a kilogram of the stuff because he was afraid it would blind him or burn his skin off. Oh, Jesus. Its effects against cells in the human body was well known, Mm -hmm. and so it was swiftly used as a cancer treatment. Wow. Because it was very successful as a treatment for cancer, it somehow became an all-powerful health tonic taken in the same way that we take vitamins today. What, like on a daily basis? Yes. People were fascinated with its power. It became a health and beauty craze. Radium came to be used in food, cosmetics, and even in toothpaste. One of the most popular ways that people used radium was to ingest it with water from gallon jugs that were lined with the radioactive material. One such device was called the revigorator. This crock stored one gallon of water inside a radium-laced bucket, Drinking the water would cure any of a number of ailments, from arthritis to impotence to wrinkles. Wrinkles. I know. So, radium was advertised using such outrageous promises, such as a cure for the living dead. Oh, well, that's pleasant. Do you think it could cure a hangover? That is my question. Oh. 
right? <laughs> just one take dose. Take it once and then that's it. Your rest, you're, It'll you're take all the years off of your life that you've lost from being yeah. hungover. Yeah. Look <laughs> like, at this. No wrinkles at all. <laughs> you gain two months of life because of all the extra naps in cheeseburgers you've had to eat to oh, help you with hangovers the over there. <laughs> all the emergency Pork bacon and orange rice. juice. Pork fried rice. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. It was also known as perpetual sunshine, and it promised to tackle various ailments from arthritis to gout. Radium had one property in particular that made it especially unique. Radium had a slight blue-green glow and a natural warmth that indicated that it was clearly a fascinating material. Oh, yeah. That's why she loved it so much. It's so pretty. (laughs) So (laughs) if I handed you a substance. A shiny substance? That was glowing and warm. And was not attached to any battery or electric power. Just a floating substance? Just, I gave you something, like in a glass jar, and it glowed and was warm. I would be so fucking freaked out by it. I'd be like, nope, 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 nope. Like, it wasn't plugged into anything. There's no operation system. There's no nothing. Right. There's not. So, I mean, I think that, like, because of... The history that we understand it. Some alien shit. Right. (laughs) Like how we understand elements today. I think that if somebody handed that to me, I would be like, A, it's alien. B, it's clearly nuclear. Like Mm -hmm. it's going to give me cancer. (laughs) Well, I don't think, I mean, I don't think. Only those two options. My health, my health risks would would not be a a top priority in my mind at that point. I would just be like, in my mind is. It's if I saw that, I was like, I need to get everyone out of this house. <laughs> like, right. You'd be like, like, I don't know what's going to happen. That is a source of something. It's some doomsday shit. That everyone out. Everyone the government's going to show up. Yeah. They're going to quarantine us. There's going to be like dudes in hoods mm-hmm. in like less than 20 minutes. You know it. Right. Where's Tony Stark? He's going to come flying through the ceiling. Very possible. He needs some adamantium. I don't know. It's going to be some shit. So, like I was saying, of course, today. Because we understand a bit more, I think we would be a little more hesitant and freaked out by Not it. Not touch than, it. Yeah. Right. Than than they were a hundred years ago. Well, th- well, that one guy said that he's like, I wouldn't even want to be in the same room right. as this stuff. Right? But the Curies, uh, they understood a bit more about radioactivity than the common person. But they, but they were still around it all. Yes, they were. And they had incredible health issues because mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. So, but radioactivity was something new to science and its properties and dangers were not well understood. But can get rid of wrinkles. That's what I'm sure. Well, that's actually a point that you make that's very interesting because people knew that radioactivity released energy. So the thought process was that they were adding energy into their bodies. So how could that possibly be harmful? They weren't thinking that like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take this. They weren't thinking whatever, that. Whatever it is and I'm going to. It's an energy that's not normal inside my body they were just like oh like added it adds energy, energy. Added, added uh, adrenaline and added in 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 my head i'm thinking that these people think that if they take this they're actually going to be younger by five years yeah i mean that's not that's not too far off from the way people it's, felt about it's it it's like the first botox there was one um gentleman who was a famous athlete and he was known to drink the water every day i think he drank a gallon of the water every day is he a baby now He did not Benjamin Button. (laughs) He did die a horrible, terrible death. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. 
Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial membership. So go to audibletrial.com slash Notorious Narratives to browse Audible's unmatched selections, such as Ellis Hoffman's Museum of Extraordinary Things, a book that fuses fiction and history, set in Coney Island with a mystery surrounding the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire. It's right up my alley. So go to audibletrial.com slash Notorious Narratives to get a free title today. It's that simple. Hi, everybody. I'm Katie Segal. And I'm Kurt Sutter. And welcome to our new podcast called Pi, People, Influences, and Experiences. Yes, it's sort of the uh, get to know you at a deeper level, the who, what, when, where, and why you are rather than what it is you do. Absolutely. We're not going to talk too much about what people do. We just want to know about their families, where they come from, you know, what shapes their parenting if they have kids, what shapes their marriages if they're married. We just want to be really nosy. We want to get in there. A deep dive into nature and nurture. And we started it because there are a lot of people that we don't know that we are curious about. Right. And I have no friends, so for me, it's, you know. Try to get them out of the house. Listen to it on whatever you listen to. (laughs) Podcasts on yeah, podcast your, 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 your podcasting apparatus. Watch it on the YouTube. He's aging himself. All right, let's get back to the story. Mm-hmm. We're going to keep talking about this shit. So in 1902, inventor William Hammer left Paris with a sample of radium salts. Hammer brought this curious substance back to the U.S. where he combined the radium salt with glue and a compound called zinc sulfide, which glowed in the presence of radiation. The result was glow-in-the-dark paint. Hammer's recipe was used by the U.S. Radium Corporation during the First World War to produce undark. Undark? You paint with this and it will be light again, which means it's undark. Yes, ma'am. So this high-tech paint allowed America's infantrymen to read their wristwatches and instrument panels at night. Oh, cool making it wildly helpful and life-saving. I think a good way for you to think about this is in an airplane. Okay. The instrument panels on an airplane. I'm thinking a giant field. Yeah. That you're going to see so, people approaching if everything's Well, we're also talking about World War One, which is well known for trench warfare. So D- they're lower in the ground. They're lower in the ground. Got it. Cool. Right. And the glow is not so bright that it would have like emitted... Um, a glow that allowed people to understand their position, mm-hmm. but it would help them to know what time of day or night it was cool. and to know north, just... south, east, west. They also marketed the pigment for non-military products such as household numbers, like the numbers in front of your house, mm-hmm. pistol sights, light switch plates, and glowing eyes for toy dolls. Oh, no. Okay. You had me paint, paint my number on my side of my house. I don't want any doll but to have glowing eyes. Any, any eyes screaming at me in the middle of the night. No, 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 no. By this time, the dangers of radium were better understood. But U.S. radium assured the public that their paint, which utilized a very small amount of the radioactive element, was in such small quantities that it made it absolutely harmless. And this was true of the products themselves. During World War I, hundreds of working-class women flocked to the studio where they were employed to paint watches and military dials. These patriotic young women did so to support their families as well as the war effort. Dial painting was considered to be an elite job for, the working, uh, for poor working girls. 
It paid more than three times the average factory job. Those that got one of these jobs considered themselves lucky. These positions ranked in the top 5% of female workers nationally, giving the women financial freedom in a time of burgeoning female empowerment. Many of these female employees were teenagers, merely girls, with small hands, perfect for artistic work. The painting was done by women at three different sites in the United States. The first was at United States Radium Factory in Orange, New Jersey, beginning around 1917. There was another facility at Ottawa, Illinois, and they began manufacturing in the early 1920s, and a third facility in Waterbury, Connecticut. Radium's luminosity was part of its allure, and the dial painters soon became known as the Ghost Girls, because by the time they were finished with their shifts, they themselves would glow in the dark. Holy fuck. They made the most of this perk, wearing their best dresses to the plant so they'd shine in the dance halls at night, and even painting radium into their teeth for a smile that would knock out their suitors. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. The radium girls actually believed that they were getting healthier by working around this new wonder drug. Since use of radium was all the rage, they considered themselves lucky to have access to it, since it was the most expensive substance in the world at the time, costing the equivalent of $2.2 million per gram in today's money. Holy shit. Per gram? Yes, ma'am. Adding to the allure of the job, the girls were listed as artists in their town's directories, so they were given a certain air of celebrity. Since it was all so attractive, they even encouraged their sisters and friends to join them there. Often, sets of siblings would be found working side by side. Workers were taught to shape paintbrushes with their mouths to maintain a fine point. The young women obediently followed the technique they'd been taught for the painstaking handiwork of painting the tiny dials, some of which were only 3.5 centimeters wide. They were instructed to slip the paintbrushes between their lips to make a fine point, a practice called lip pointing. It's a very common technique when using powders. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. To paint. Every time the girls raised the brushes to their mouths, they swallowed a little bit of the glowing green paint. But they followed these instructions only after inquiry. One employee is quoted as asking her boss, the first thing we asked was, does this stuff hurt you? (laughs) Naturally, they didn't want to put anything in their mouths that was going to hurt them. Their manager told them that it wasn't dangerous and there was no reason to be afraid. But of course... As we all know, radium is radioactive, and there was plenty of reason to be afraid. When radium is placed next to human cells or in the bloodstream, or when it crosses a mucous membrane, such as the gums, it turns into like a baby machine gun Mm -hmm. in the body's tissues, eventually mutating and killing the cells around it. The owners and scientists at U.S. Radium were very familiar with the hazards of radioactivity. And, of course, they took very expensive precautions to protect themselves. They knew that Undark's key ingredient was approximately one million more times radioactive than uranium. So company chemists often used lead screens, masks, and tongs when working with the paint. U.S. Radium even distributed literature to the medical community describing the injurious effects of radium. They said that the male employees which were wearing the lead aprons and had all the special protective gear, that the only reason why they had it was because they were handling large quantities and the female employees were only handling tiny quantities, so they didn't need it. That was their story. Okay. So, 1922, Molly Maggia 
had to quit her job at the factory because she was so severely ill. No one knew what was wrong with her. She was a mystery. Her disease course is horrifying. A lot of the things that I'm going to talk about are going to literally make you cringe to your core. So if hearing about body horror and sort of mouth stuff bothers you, I would maybe fast forward. Yeah. Trigger warning. Two minutes. Two minutes? Oh, oh my God. Okay. I can't fast forward. (laughs) You don't get to fast forward. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. That's okay. Especially because you have had so much mouth horror. Uh, You know what? Yeah, man. The trouble started with an aching tooth. Oh, fuck. I I can't. I can't. I can't. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. The trouble started with an aching tooth. Her dentist pulled it. And then the next tooth that started hurting. And then the next tooth that started hurting. And many other teeth followed. In the place of the missing teeth, painful ulcers erupted. They were red and yellow and full of blood and pus. They constantly weeped, leaking, causing a foul stench to come from her mouth. Then she began suffering from aching pains in her limbs, They were so awful that she was no longer able to walk. The doctor thought and diagnosed her with rheumatism and sent her home with aspirin. Hmm. By May of the year, 1922, Molly was desperate. She was aching all over. She had these incredible wounds inside of her mouth and a jaw pain that would not go away. And no one could tell her what was wrong with her. She was unable to work. Um, at this point, she was probably 23 or I was 24 just, I was years just old. Ask. Yeah, yeah. So she's a very young girl living here in New Jersey. But now it seemed that the mysterious illness had spread. Her entire lower jaw, the roof of her mouth, and even some of the bones of her ears were said to have become one large abscess. So essentially, her entire oral cavity was just a large gaping wound. Mm hmm. But the worst was yet to come. She continued to have agonizing jaw pain. And when her dentist prodded delicately at her jawbone in her mouth, it broke beneath his fingers. He removed it. This is in quotes. Not by an operation, but merely by putting his fingers in her mouth and lifting it out. She was quite literally falling apart piece by piece. Unfortunately, by this point, she was not alone. It took some time for the girls to become sick, some of them up to five years. Another employee, uh, Grace Fryer, was also having trouble with her jaw and suffering pains in her feet. And so were the other so-called radium girls. On September 12, 1922, the strange infection that had plagued Molly Magia for less than a year spread to the tissues of her throat. The disease slowly ate its way into her jugular vein. And at 5 p.m. on September 12, 1922... Her mouth was flooded with blood as she hemorrhaged so fast that the nurse was unable to stop it. She died at the age of 24. With her doctors flummoxed as to the cause of death, her birth certificate erroneously said that she had died from syphilis, something that her former employer would later hold against her. Fucking bastard. (laughs) I cannot say strongly enough. Fucking bastard. (laughs) I cannot say strongly enough how very upsetting it is to me. That this was her cause of death. Um, I'm so emotional today. 
this like doing this whole thing really upset me and uh i've been really upset all day about it so sorry guys um this makes me really upset so there are just so many moral implications to this diagnosis that of course are very upsetting for her family um and they would discredit her suffering in a way that is beyond comprehension so one by one the dial painters would follow molly to the grave uh the young women's employer USRC denied any responsibility for their deaths for almost two years. I mean, <laughs> of course they would. <laughs> I mean, what corporation would accept responsibility for horrible deaths of beautiful young girls, especially if they're not made to? The problem could not easily be ignored, though, and the company suffered a downturn in business, which they believed was because of all of the gossip. And in 1924, they hired an expert to look into the rumors that the dial painting profession had caused these women's death because this study was independent or I mean, I guess maybe they didn't pay him enough to actually lie. The expert confirmed the link between radium and the women's illnesses. He's like, well, yeah, of course that's what caused them to die. But the president of the company was outraged instead of accepting the findings and taking responsibility for the loss of life and the lifelong disability that he had caused these young women. He instead paid for a new study to be published that had the opposite conclusion. He also lied to the Department of Labor because after the initial report had been released, they began an investigation. He claimed that the women were trying to make the company deal with their medical bills and that they were not responsible to help them in any way. Motherfucker. The, the company shit. the company worked and bribed hard to have the report hushed up. So now the challenge was even harder as the women had to prove the link between their illnesses and the radium that they'd been ingesting hundreds and hundreds of times a day after being told to and after being told that what they were doing was safe. So after that report... Continually. They yep. all, and they thought that this was such a grand... They brought their sisters and family and friends. I mean, they were getting work. paid a ton of money. They were getting to work in a place that, you know, seemed very fancy. They were called artists. They basically played on everything that a young girl wants and took advantage so callously and so maliciously. Um, and even when they were asking if it was safe, they were lied to completely, whether by design or not. Um, they knew that radium in large quantities, everyone knew that radium in large quantities at this time could be hazardous to your health. People believed that in small quantities it was not, but they don't take into account that hundreds and hundreds of times a day, every day for many years. Now you are ingesting directly into your bloodstream a significant amount of radium not a small amount. Anyway, so after this report gets covered up, now the women who are trying to fight this company are in a really bad position because this they've completely hushed up the report that has proven the link between their illness and the radium. So, and they're also fighting against the public's belief that radium is safe because people are using it in their fucking toothpaste. So, like, how could people be dying from fucking toothpaste? But you know how it goes. (laughs) Unfortunately, history sucks for women, and their fights are often far more difficult. And it took the death of a male employee. Oh, would you look at that? 
for experts to finally for experts to finally take up the charge. Notice that something's wrong. In 1925, a brilliant doctor and medical examiner named Harrison Martland devised tests that proved once and for all that radium had poisoned the women. Thank you. Listen to that name, Harrison Martland. Harrison Martland. Pretty cool dude. Definitely led scientifically the charge that helped these women to prove it. Martland also explained what was happening inside of their bodies. As early as 1901, it had been evident that radium could harm humans dramatically when applied externally. But Martland discovered that when radium was used internally, even in very tiny amounts, the damage was many thousand times greater. Ingested radium had subsequently settled inside the women's bodies and was now emitting constant destructive radiation that honeycombed their bones. Oh, my God. It was literally disintegrating them while they were alive. inside out. Yes, ma'am. Grace Fryer, who is another one of the women that worked there, um, her spine was crushed, and she had to wear a steel back brace. Another girl's jaw was eaten away to what what was called a mere stump. Martland also discovered and coined the term radium jaw, which was the condition that these women had suffered from. It was an occupational disease brought on by the ingestion and subsequent absorption of radium into the bones of the radium dial painters and those consuming radium-laden patent medicines. The symptoms are necrosis of the mandible and the maxilla constant bleeding of the gums, and after some time, severe distortion due to bone tumors and porosity of the lower jaw. And in an especially creepy instance, the damaged bones actually glow. So (laughs) um, it is the light that does not die. As part of his work to prove radium poisoning, Martland had Magia's body exhumed for further testing, to prove that her death was from her work conditions rather than from the original cause of death, which was listed as syphilis. On the morning of October 15, 1927, a dim autumn morning, a group of men foregathered at Rosedale Cemetery in New Jersey and picked through the headstones until they found the grave of Amelia Molly Magia. As her coffin was raised and the lid levered open, Molly's corpse was seen to be aglow with a soft luminescence. Everyone present knew what that meant. For many of those suffering from the ailment, they first realized that they had radium poisoning when they caught sight of themselves in the mirror in the middle of the night, shining with an unnatural luminosity that sealed their fate. This was another reason why they were called the Ghost Girls. Martlin had come to the conclusion that this poisoning would always be fatal. Once the radium was inside of them, there was no way of removing it. The radium industry worked hard to discredit Martland's pioneering work. But one thing that the industry did not count on was how tough a woman can be when she knows she's right. And with the courage and tenacity of the radium girls, they stood up for themselves and they fought back. They started banding together and they took the fight right to the companies. Even though they were being ignored and being called liars and their deaths were being covered up while they were casting aspersions on their characters. They continued to fight. 
They had reason to continue to fight because many young girls were still being employed as dial painters all across the United States. Grace Fryer was uh, quoted as saying, It is not for myself I care. I am thinking more for the hundreds of girls to whom this may serve as an example. It was Grace who led their fight. She was turned down by countless lawyers, but she remained steadfast. Radium poisoning itself had not been discovered until these girls got sick, and therefore it was not an illness that there was any statute for which there was compensation. So since this didn't exist before then, there was no legal precedent that said, oh, like if people are working with radioactive chemicals and they get radiation sickness, you have to pay them because nobody had ever been working with radioactive chemicals. So this is the first time. So this causes a lot of problems in the occupational safety and health area. And also in law. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's a big, vicious circle. Another problem with this issue is that there's a statute of limitations that allows victims of occupational poisoning only two years to file their cases. I mean, some of them don't have two and years. And if you remember, I said that radium poisoning usually doesn't show any signs until around five years. Yeah. After five years of exposure. So so it's a vicious legal yeah. circle of <laughs> it's a bad it's a bad story. It's a bad story. It's a good story. It deserves to be told, but bad story. But Grace was a fighter and she was the daughter of a union delegate. And Go, she did not have give up in her bones. No. She had awful, awful radium and cancer in her bones, but she did not have a give up. And she was determined to hold the clearly guilty party to account. Go Grace. Eventually, in 1927, a very smart young lawyer named Raymond Barry accepted their case. And Grace, along with four other women, found themselves in the center of an internationally famous courtroom drama. But unfortunately, time was running out, and they had mere months to live at this point. As we all know, these cases can just languish in court and in the system for a very long time. And these companies were sure that that was what was going to happen. They put in many motions to have the proceedings held while mm. they waited for their experts to return from summering in Europe. They used every part every of their excuse. ability every excuse. to stall the proceedings. Yeah. So Grace and her friends were forced to settle out of court. <gasps> but they had raised the profile of radium poisoning just as Grace had planned. The New Jersey Radium Girls case was front page news and it sent shockwaves across America. In Ottawa, Illinois, a dial painter by the name of Catherine Wolfe read the coverage with horror. She talked about how there were meetings in her factory that bordered on riots and the chill of fear was so depressing that they could scarcely work. But the Illinois firm took a page right out of United States Radium's book and denied responsibility. Although the firm's medical tests proved that the Illinois women were clearly showing symptoms of radium poisoning. Even though they had those tests, they fucking lied. And said that everyone there was fine and healthy. Its actions to hush up the scandal went as far as interfering in the girls' autopsies. And when the Illinois workers began to die, company officials actually stole their radium-riddled bones to cover things up. So first of all, they're saying they're dying from fucking syphilis. I mean, it makes me so fucking angry because that is the exact thing that you say to disparage a woman's character, mm-hmm. make her sound like a fucking whore. Mm-hmm. So nobody believes that she suffered. And it makes me so angry. Mm-hmm. Makes me so angry. <sighs> In 
if the women weren't killed by the same jaw problems that had taken Molly Magia, they eventually suffered from sarcomas, huge cancerous bone tumors that would grow anywhere on their bodies. One dial painter, Irene Laporte, died of a massive pelvic tumor that was said to be as large as two footballs. What? In 1938, Catherine Wolfe developed a grapefruit-sized tumor that bulged on her hip. Like Molly Maggia before her, she lost her teeth and had to pick pieces of her own jawbone out of her mouth as she constantly held a patterned handkerchief to her jaw to absorb the ever-seeping pus. Catherine had seen her friends dying before her, and that rather steeled her spirit and gave her the motivation to start her own fight for justice. By then, it was the mid-1930s, and America was in the grip of the Great Depression. Catherine and her friends were shunned by the community for suing one of the only companies that was still standing. Though close to death when her case went to court in 1938, Catherine ignored her doctor's advice and instead gave evidence from her deathbed. You can actually see photos of her laying in the bed with lawyers around her. All you have to do is Google radium girls. It's one of the most famous pictures. In doing so, and with the help of her lawyer, Leonard Grossman, who had been working for them pro bono, she finally won justice, not only for herself, but for workers everywhere. The radium girls case was one of the first in which an employer was made responsible for the health of a company's employees. It led to life-saving regulations and ultimately to the establishment of the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, which nationally in the United States is there to protect workers and to provide safe working conditions. Before OSHA was set up, 14,000 people died every year on the job. Today, it's just over 4,500. These women also left a legacy of science that is invaluable but you won't often read their names in history books for today individual radium girls have largely been forgotten drawing on one woman's words it was only through their strength suffering and sacrifice that workers rights were won thank you radium girls all right to uh, wrap this up i'm going to quote uh, kate moore and these women will continue to shine on in many other ways, for radium has a half-life of 1,600 years, and it is still embedded in their bones, and the ghost girls will be glowing in their graves for a good while yet. And that is the story, the dark story, of the radium girls. Just another notorious narrative. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, there are a couple of things that you can do to help us out. You can leave a positive review wherever you're listening now. You can also go to patreon.com forward slash notorious narratives, where you can access content that is exclusive for our patrons. And remember, keep it weird and never stop.